Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 77 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, I mean absolutely everything, has a history, like wax, mattresses, or cards. We're almost 80, Sam. I know. Or duvets, pillows, sheets, pots, pans, and spoons. <laughs> and we'll be following the links as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam? Who knew that the history of childhood is in fact all about accidents, card sharps, and precociousness? Uh, and education and breastfeeding and all, all sorts of things. Cards, um, games. Yes. And Or that the signature is all about power, identity and, rolling us back to our previous example, childhood. Oh, yes. So everything really does link together. Uh, the man sitting opposite me is the Red Sparrow of Sparta. <laughs> Have you seen the Red Sparrow film yet? I haven't yet, oh. but it is it is in it is in movie theaters, it is a good, cinemas, good spy film. We should do the unexpected history of spies. Ooh. So that's an interesting one where Ooh. you see nice. you might not be surprised that spies have a history, but you would be very surprised at the way we would tell it. I yes, think. yes, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Would be about eggs and urine and oranges and oranges mm-hmm. and shrinking mm, and boats, boats. And ooh, all sorts ooh, of things. Holes, hiding stuff. Yep. Uh, yep. Hiding people. Yep. Anyway. And the man sitting opposite me is the. I haven't even said who you are yet. Oh, you have. You're you the, said red, I was Sar- the red... red Sparrow Sparta, but you are That's Professor Extraordinaire oh, of Early Modern uh, History of Plymouth yes. University. It's Professor James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. <laughs> uh, and the man sitting opposite me is the ship's captain of the schedule of a historical nature. It is the truly wonderful, famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Sam, hello. Hello, James. How are you today? Really, I'm full of beans today. Good, um, good. Because the new paperback version of my book, The Struggle for Sea Power, Ooh. The Royal Navy versus the World, 1775 to 72, is out, and I've been given my preliminary author's copy. So I've got a big box of these books at wow. home. Oh, we should run a little competition. This is large. Actually, it's very large. Isn't this is it? how many pages? Let me check. You can always judge a book by the number of pages. Well, you can, but it doesn't tell <laughs> and you very by much. Its cover. 572. 572. How many, quite how a many lot. words is this? Anyway, what we're going to do very quickly. He's not saying how many words. I'm gonna, I'll tell you. It's, I'll tell you in a bit. Um, we are going to do an unexpected historical challenge of my book. We are not going to be talking necessarily about uh, the uh, War of American Independence or the Royal Navy. We're going to take this book and see how many interesting subjects, interesting <laughs> unexpected subjects of okay. history arise from this single object and what we're going to do with it in the next um, half an hour or so. Does that make sense? It does. And I am inspired by the front cover, which right. is a battle scene, which gives us so much scope. 
Right. Let's start. So let's things. start from the beginning. So um, yeah, this is going to be a crazy step into our world. We don't know where we're going to go with this, no. but we are not going to be talking about the contents of the book. If no. that makes some kind of sense. Well, let's, should we just, should we just reel off a list of topics? That we can think about as a springboard from this. Yes, okay, fine. So we're looking at the cover. Take it in turns. Uh, all right, we're looking at the cover. Um, there's a naval battle there. And I'm particularly looking at all of the smoke coming out of the guns. Yep. So I'm going to say that we could do the history of smoke. We did the history of smoke. The, the sky is cloudy. We could do the history of clouds. There are flags on top of the uh, mast. We could do the I history had... of flags. And through that, we could do the history of communication. Yes. Uh, we could do waves. Uh, there are waves on the sea. There are. Um, the uh, obvious one is ships, so I'm not going to say that. So we want something a bit more unexpected. The font is interesting. Ah. Um, we could do the history of uh, print and handwriting. We could. Uh, we could also do colour. Uh, the title is in yellow and white. We could do the significance of that. Yep. We could turn the book over. Yes, uh, let's do We that. could do um, the spine. Uh, we could also, it, it's a very heavy book. We could do the history of weight. Yes, that's which would be true. Good. Uh, mm-hmm. We could do the history of indexing, uh, index uh, end notes rather than footnotes. The history of the footnote is interesting, though. Is it really? The footnote is somewhere where you insult people. Ah, yeah. Right. Let's good. stop. Let's start just talking about some of these things. Paper, we'd run but there's um, the paper's amazing, isn't it? We'll do the paper as well. Yes. Let me um, let me start with clouds. Go on then. Start with clouds. So the artist here has painted a scene. Uh, it's the Battle of Ushant, um, and. He specifically and carefully used clouds to make a point about the painting. So the, basically that these ships in the centre of the painting are framed by the clouds. Now, what that is interests me about is it's someone using clouds for a purpose. Here we've got an artist using clouds for a purpose. But there's an amazing history of people using clouds yes. that isn't just to do with art and manipulating the view of the person looking at the painting. So you've got... Uh, particularly mariners. So yep. if you look in ships' logs, there are people using clouds for navigation. in the past for navigation. Yep. Um, so clouds often hang over mountains, which means the first sight of land is often a cloud. It's a cloud yep. lurking over the horizon. But it's not just maritime stuff. So Forecasting, forecasting. weather. So let's think That's about um, people like farmers, people working yep. in the fields. Yep. Um, and in the past, now we all look at our phones, but in the past, clouds were important and they were used by people. Yeah. There's also the wonderful history of cloud identification. Yep. Cumulonimbus. Cloud, cl- cloud atlas. The cloud, so a cloud atlas. Yes. What's a cloud atlas? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not only a book by David Mitchell. It is a, a historical cloud atlas was only invented once people were able to identify different types of cloud. Yep. And it was like a, it's like a dictionary it's a of clouds. It's a training book for meteorologists, basically. Mm. Uh, the cloud atlas uh, published in... 1890. Hmm. Uh, so very, fairly, fairly early on. There's also man-made clouds. Like what? As well. Like, so man-made clouds. I mean, I think here um, the gas clouds, gas clouds, and, ah, and yes, chemical, chemical warfare. So mm. gas clouds and and World War One. Um, I always envisage those to be like the kind of clouds you get in Batman. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Green clouds. Do you yes. reckon like chlorine? Did it? Yes. Were they coloured? Yes. Some of them were coloured, and then I mean, it, there's it's it's quite interesting. I mean, we should do a whole episode on the history of clouds. It's quite interesting. Some of the early gas was coloured, and then as people developed, it was sort of you know colourless gas, so that you wouldn't actually know. Oh, so you can't run away from it. it was on you until. And if you think about some of the sort of nerve gas that is that's being used at the moment, like sarin, sarin gas. Oh, so it is odourless, it's yeah. it's tasteless, it's colourless. So until it's sort of in you, 
You don't know. We're um, recording this at the time of that. There was a Russian spy, I forget yes, his name, who's just been yes, poisoned in yes, Salisbury. Yes. By and, Sarin. And, and his daughter. Well, we think. They, okay, they, they, haven't, they, have haven't, they haven't said what it is yet. So that wasn't in like a kind of comedy bottle which came out with purple gas. Like, no, 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 no. Like quite, Two-Face quite sort of horrific, the Joker would use. Horrific. Yeah. Invisible. Um, uh, mushroom Cloud. Yeah. Um, oh, another so man-made cloud. That's an excellent Another cloud, man-made James. cloud. Well done. So, um, and there's a very interesting history about why it was, in fact, a mushroom cloud. And there were all sorts of, you mm. know, different... Um, What's interesting about that is we know the mushroom cloud, so this is the cloud produced by an atomic explosion. We yep. know about that because of all of the photos which came out, particularly of the atomic tests in the 50s in, yep. the, in, in islands in the Pacific. I'm kind of talking off the top of my head, but Bikini Atoll is definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, um, that's so one before of yep. that... No one knew what a bikini, what, what bikini, a mushroom a bikini cloud. cloud, what a mushroom a, cloud, a mushroom cloud, well, what would look like. There are yeah. all sort, there are all sorts of different ways of of coining the of describing it. Um, so it was a, a multicolored surging cloud, a giant column, a chimney shaped column, a great funnel, a raspberry, uh, and somebody called it a cauliflower cloud. I like that. Uh, but then the mushroom mushroom cloud stuck. It was a journalist. Yeah. That coined the phrase and it and it's and it stuck and that's a so sort I've of... seen a film of the bikini atoll test and it looks Have like you? A, it looks like a cauliflower that's genius yeah I mean I think we should rename it the cauliflower yeah cloud. whoever came up with that I wonder who that was I bet he has a way with words and was probably a poet a wordsmith it kind of grows on itself again and again and again yeah and the little sort of different heads of it kind of appear so there we are there's clouds there's clouds easy um w- font print yeah I don't know much about that I but... know tons <laughs> <laughs> The um, history of typesetting. Okay, so the point is there is a history of typesetting and it's changing hist- now and it changes in the past. There's a history of typesetting. It's re- really interestingly linked to the history of literacy. How so? so we, um, well, I mean, if you think about the very early printing, um, different forms of print would be used to communicate to different types of audiences. So if you look at some of the, if you look at some of the early texts connected to the bible or common book of prayer or think books like that they have different kinds of font that are used okay. and there's a particular kind of font called black letter print which is a little bit like um a little bit like the sort of the kind of um font that would be used for newspaper titles those kinds of things it seems to our trained eye today you're quite difficult to read but this would have been the basic print that you would have used for people who were partially literate if you wanted to communicate something hmm. in that particular font it had it had you know it ha- it had particular emphasis and there's a whole world of scholarship about the meaning of different font sizes i'm a times roman man i know you hate times roman don't you I do yes i'm wondering if it says um it was printed in denmark i'm just wondering if it is says it garamond or something like that or uh but it looks very smart can't Sam. See it. doesn't it look very smart so um, it does there's clearly a very interesting history of fonts related to publishing and who the audience is. Um, so every time you pick up a book, uh, dear listeners, um, be aware that you're being manipulated by a publisher yes. who is targeting you and it's targeting the way you you consume books. Interesting, yes. huh? Very interesting. So my book's threatening. Your book is threatening. And weight, the weight of something. Can, okay. we, can we do so? We've done no prep for weight. No, I'm not or sure. Or any I... of these. Hmm, we could do, cla- we do, um, do flags. I can talk about flags. Go on, talk to us about Definitely. flags. So there are some very distinctive flags here. Um, there's, they're quite difficult to make out. And it's exactly the point. My point about flags is flags all to do with visibility. Hmm. Uh, and it's also to do with the history of radio. It's all to do with the history of communication. Um, it's to do with codes and signals. So flags. And, and um, in what way? Peace. White flag. 
Oh yes, white 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 flag. White flag. And whether that meant ceremony. I wonder if that meant the same in different locations. And when the when the surrender flag came into existence, these flags particularly are obviously naval flags. Um, so some are used to mark out who was on board each ship, whether it was a vice admiral or or a rear admiral or an admiral of the fleet or a captain, whatever. Um, they were also used to communicate. Communicating was very difficult at sea because particularly if you were looking in the sun, if something was called up sun, you can't actually make out the colour of it. So uh, entire signalling systems became redundant if you were in the wrong position in relation in relation to the sun, which made communication very difficult. They also used guns. So if you look at a flag, you've got to think about it in, in a much kind of broader world of communicating at sea. So they used lights, they used flags, they used guns, and also a lot of um, pre-existing planning went on. Yes. So uh, people like Nelson would make damn sure that his captains within his fleet knew what he wanted them to do in any given situation. So it wasn't a matter of kind of losing control of the fleet and passing a degree of autonomy, a degree of responsibility to your captains. It was actually extremely strictly controlled because everyone was going to be working within a sort of pre-existing structure of expectation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, flags are absolutely fascinating just because they there's a whole kind of shadowy mass of stuff of which flags are only a tiny part. Um, then there's a whole symbolism of flags, things like you know French Revolution, what are they flying, why are they flying it, when does it change uh, flags and nationalism. Um, ooh, we should do flags. We should do flags. Let's do an paper. entire podcast. All right. Paper is also fascinating as a history. There is so much you know, research being done on paper. I've written loads on on paper, on particularly on manuscript paper, different types of paper, different qualities of paper, the way it's used. Mm. You know, um, the meaning, the, mater- the the physicality, and how you lay out the page. So, I mean, very but if you briefly, this is a, this is a paperback book, and this paper is. It's, it's quite the pages thin. are smaller yeah. and the and, and the paper is thinner than the hardback book. Yeah, but also paper is, if we think about it as a revolutionary invention, you know, paper is a technology that restructures the way in which people thought. You know, as soon as you have paper, you know, you are able to organise things in a very different way. As soon as you put pen to paper, it, it helps you think in different ways. It allows for much greater degrees of um of organization bureaucracy paper also underpins our knowledge systems books are all about knowledge and libraries and archives and you know paper is which themselves are massively complicated i think a, a very very a very very i mean i'm talking in sort of you know very sort of macro terms but also paper paper memory paper is ultimately how we fundamentally remember as historians yeah. we we will know about you know, this particular period that you're talking about. 1775 to 1782. Not only because you've written about it, but but backing up this book yeah. is a, you know, I only need to turn to the back and have a look at the, you know, the many sources that you've looked at. I mean, you know, you've read those. They are paper sources. Yeah. We know about that because the, of the paper survival. So paper itself yeah. is a very important Paper and memory, the book and memory yes. is interesting. So, you know, so this is a massive book. Um, I can't actually remember how many thousands of words it was, but it was well over it 170. Like, gosh. Um, but people say, you know, how can you walk around with all of this in your head? And my answer is, I don't, because it's all in this book. Yes. I actually walk around with nothing in my head, ever. I, my head is completely it's elsewhere. empty. It's elsewhere. Well, yes. I'm just drifting around, and, and my, he- yes. my head is an empty vault, basically. Yes. When I write a book, I fill it up with a chapter, and I jumble it all around, and then vomit it out, and then my yes. head is empty. So you're like a tablet, like a tablet, if you think about now nowadays the way computing is operating, knowledge is all up in a cloud, 
and oh, you yeah. are effectively and then and then we read it through a t through different screens you are you are in in effect a a tablet or a smartphone or a screen that is processing this vast body of knowledge yeah. that is elsewhere and the processing business yes. is exhausting and then yes. i'm shattered and then yes. but then the book comes out yes um so the I, we, I, we've, done, we've done one on paper, haven't we? We've done a podcast we've done on paper. A podcast you should on listen paper. to it. I, I talked about it because I, I made some paper when I was filming the Silk Road for the BBC. You've written about paper, and, it, and you talked about paper marks, which are yes. wonderful. So these don't. This doesn't have paper mark. Mm -mm. No, I shouldn't. Have. No. So that's only kind of special specialist. You mean watermarks? Oh, sorry, watermarks. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it depends what sort of quality of paper it is. Very high. Very high no, quality. Oh, look at that. It's, it's Italian flag paper. <laughs> For those of you who know, Andy Gordon, it's Italian flag paper. You to, will get that. Is that something to do with flags? Uh, um, yes. Right. So, um, interesting. We've got smoke from the guns. Let's just talk about smoke very briefly because smoke you can go all over the place with. In this. Indeed, we have. It was one of our. It was our second, a third. Really? The th it was, I remember it was pipes. our third one. We did smoke. Who can smoke? When do you smoke? What's all the paraphernalia but also around it smoke? Was about, it was about your your ta your chimney. Oh, the king's your, pipe. And yeah. the king's pipe. That's right. So that's that's basically official government controlled smoke yes. signals for catching yes. smugglers. And then it's of course there's really cool. There's smoke signals. There's smoke. Yeah. There's no smoke without fire. Yeah. So I should listen to the smoke yes. podcast. You could also do the history of the Atlantic. For it is Atlantic books. Right. It's also for, published, for in the Atlantic. By. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Let's just open up and have a quick delve inside quickly. There are a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. So one of the things that I, I we talked about the history of hair, and I gave this example, page three, James. Yeah, page three. Um, is an amazing contemporary cartoon of a very fashionable French lady wearing her hair in a style known as A la Belle Poule. And the Belle Poule was a French frigate. And um, she has an enormous sailing warship precariously balanced on the top of her Head. We've talked about her before, haven't we? We have. So you can yes. do the history of hair and the history of hairstyles. Yes. Which I think we've also done, haven't we? Wigs and things like we that. We have. You do the history of maps. The history Ooh. of the history of forwards. The history of dedications. So you can break the book down into different oh, sections. Yes. So each each contents. Yeah, yeah. Charts. Yeah. Uh, you haven't signed it. Ah, let me sign it. And then sign can... my book. Sign my copy. Here we are. Right now, um, so this is interesting. So I'm going to be using my author's signature. Mm. How many signatures do you have? Right. This is a really interesting question, and it's all to do with history, of course. Um, here we go. For dabs, I have to call you dabs because that's what my kids call you. I know. They, in fact, they salute me when I see them <laughs> on the way to school in the morning. For dabs, and then I sign it. Now, when I was a date it, date it. That's important. Is it? Yes, of course yes, it is. Yes. What is the date? Uh, I've no idea. Uh, let me check. The eighth of March, two thousand and eighteen. Point is, is that your own personal signature will have a history. Okay, there will be the the early doodlings from when you were a kid. Both James and I copied the signatures of our fathers. Yes, um, to a certain extent. I uh, did, and then kind of developed our own. And then anyway, mine changed when I when my first book was published. I. I came up with kind of an author's signature because I wanted to have a more flourishy one that if people came up to me at a book talk or something and I was signing my book to give them something, give them a little piece of artwork as well yes. as just a scribble. So I have, I've got a number of different signatures. I've got one I use for signing for stuff, which is pretty loose. I've got my author's one. I've got ones I will sign for my kids. I've got another one I will use for my wife. So I've got loads. I have one formal one that I use and then nothing other than I, I literally now I disdain the act of actually signing for things so I just scribble mm. scribble or mark a cross or yeah. some, something like that 
I had to sign for something um, yesterday and he arrived with a kind of a box and said, can you sign? And I said, well, where's my pen? I need my fountain pen and my ink. <laughs> so he said, he looked at me like I was a moron. And I didn't even mean a pen. I meant like one of those stylus things. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, just use your finger, mate. So I used my finger and it was... It was licked it and then... It was completely yeah. impossible to actually oh. make my name. So I think I all up, they want is a mark that says, that gets them off the hook. Which raises us to the interesting question of the early history of signatures, James. It does. Take it on. It certainly What's a does. mark? So a mark would be uh, pre-literacy or pre-ability, an ability to sign your own name, signing literacy. It would be to make a rudimentary cross or mark yeah. um, that was an identifier for you. Um, and social historians interested in literacy have collected marks and signatures across time and then used it to look at literacy rates. So the percentage of people who are able to sign their name or not. That's really interesting. Fascinating. So if someone in the future got hold of a database of this delivery guy's yes. signatures again, he'd look at them all and he'd look at mine and he went, you are clearly illiterate. You're illiterate. Yeah, I've You're written 10 words. books, boss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I made some kind of ridiculous squiggle. I uh, haven't said I haven't said thank you for this. Oh, okay. the, the book is a gift. Ooh, now. Ooh. the book is gift. I know where you're going with this. Jason Scott Warren's brilliant book on John, Sir John Harrington and the gift. Okay, who's John so, Harrington? Um, John Harrington was uh, Elizabeth the First godson. He invented the the water closet, the toilet. Okay, uh, and also wrote all sorts of great stuff. Uh, but but the significance of of gifts, and we've done the gift. We have done the gift. So the point is, is I've given it to James for a a. It is a token of love, James. Yes, that's the but only. Now, there's no such thing. Um, I Ooh. now owe you. You do. <laughs> when my book comes, when when my book comes out in paperback, okay. uh, I will. We can do a similar thing, mm. and I will. I will gift it to you. So very few gifts are ever given. Possibly no gifts are ever given. No, on note, listeners, that he's given me a a paperback uh, rather than the more expensive hardback. <laughs> <laughs> that sh- shows how valued my friendship is. Mm, history of gifts. We have done history yes. gifts, and they're fabulous. So political gifts, um, and so p- p- politics and diplomacy certainly in certain periods in certain parts of the world, was entirely organised around people handing around people gifts, gifts. Yes. which could also be used for assassination. Because if yes. you've got a personal gift that gets into the hands of a king or a queen, you've yes. got a chance of killing them. Exactly. So you've got to be careful. You know, Is what, there an what example gifts, of that? What gifts you have? Um, all sorts of examples. All sorts of examples. Uh, French king Henri III uh, was assassinated by a varlet monk uh, carrying a, not exactly a gift, but carrying something for him. Something personal. Um, for something him, yeah. personal, a supposed sort of dispatch. He came off his throne and um, then the monk took out, to, to read, to see this, receive this this um, delivery. And then the monk took out a knife and sort of, you know, scalp. You know, the interesting between a delivery and a gift, the, sorry, the difference between a delivery and a gift is interesting. How does one tell that as a, a dispatch? Story? Yes. It's quite hard, isn't it? So that one, that's signed. It is. Okay, it's so, a gift so, book, a presentation so, book. But if someone came along in 10 years' time who doesn't know you and found it, go, oh, that was probably a gift, and then you could work out the personal connections. We've known yes. each other for how many yes. years, um, yes. and we've done Absolutely. these things together. But actually identifying something as a gift is difficult. But in, yes. you know, I know there's the gift roles. Yes, the gift roles. are um, uh, written about these recently, actually. So the New Year's gift roles uh, for that survived for the Tudor period, uh, mostly for Elizabeth I's reign. They are these enormous, long vellum rolls, maybe about, um, I don't know, not quite a metre wide, but um, maybe two feet wide and then about 12 feet long. 
And on one side, it lists all the gifts given on New Year's Day to the monarch. And people are listed in, in hierarchy. So the royal family and then and ended up with sort of court servants at the bottom. Um, so those are all the gifts that are given by the monarch. And then on the other side are listed all the gifts that she uh, or Henry VIII or, or Elizabeth I has, has received. What we have then is this sense of gift exchange. But back to what you were talking about earlier on about the delivery versus a gift. This book, um, The Struggle for Sea Power uh, by Sam Willis, um, it changes meaning dependent on the context that it's in. So if I were, if you have now gifted this to me, but should people buy it from a bookstore mm. or from Amazon, it would not be a gift. It would be a, it would be a commodity that they would be buying and and I and I imagine really enjoying. But then used for different things. So it can be either bought for entertainment, so yes. someone sitting at home, or it could be used by a student. And then, maybe, and I was going to say that then it's a tool for education. Yes, yes. but. But it might be a tool for education, whoever's reading it. So, but also, um, it's hmm. quite heavy. It could be used as a weapon, could or, as, or as, as a weapon. doorstop, or for crushing garlic, or as a you know. Oftentimes, um, you know, books with lots of paper like this, you know, in a run out of toilet paper, and rip out. But you know, historically, but books have been okay. you know have have not been cherished uh, really and have been used point. in used so, in other ways to line pie dishes. News, uh, paper walls, all sorts of things. Which is, I'm a, not a, saying a, that I'd wipe my ass on your book. You, you actually said that. No, I, no, 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 no. I went into the abstract there. Okay. No, I, I was talking about books. So paper also been used to stuff chimneys. We paper, talked about yes, chimneys yes. as archives, where you found stuff hidden up chimneys. But the, yes. so the point is that this book has a history. It's in the, It's about. This is probably its midlife crisis. So it, when it was um, when it was young and strong, yes, um, it was a hardback, yes, and now it's passing into midlife. Midlife, um, where it's a paperback, but it's cheap and accessible. Cheap and accessible, that's great. Yes. So loads of people read it. Thank you, everyone. But um, the point is, is that it, it may not be a book in the future. It may actually be used as a different object. Yes, uh, for starting fires or wiping bums. Thank yes. you, James. Or for the um, for the history of the lean, uh, which we're going to talk about, I could. Uh, in deportment classes, I could walk around with it. He's bouncing on my, his head. On my head. Yeah. So we're going to do the history of the lean next up, actually. Um, that was fun. So listen, get a weird object, even if it doesn't look like a weird object, like a book. Just get an object, have a look at it, and work out how many different histories might be involved in that object. That's what I want you to do, because that's what we do. That's what excites us about histories of the unexpected. Um and we haven't even talked about what's in the book. Well, what's in the book is an extraordinary story of how Britain lost America between 1775 and 1782, despite having the largest navy in the world. And despite fighting someone who didn't have a navy and the fact that it was a naval war. So it's a truly jaw-dropping story. I think it's one of the best stories in history. Not the, yes. one, not the fact that I've written, but just generally, flat out, what's a good story in history? How Britain came to lose American colonies is brilliant. And it's all done in a mere 30 chapters. <laughs> yeah, everyone. With an epilogue. Everyone a little bit of my soul. An um, introduction, so, notes, yeah. bibliography, index, top notch. So that's it. That's your challenge. Find an object. It might be a rake. It might be a sword, it might be a, a fork hoe. or a spoon or a hoe or a TV. Have a look at it and try and work out at least 10 different histories associated with that object. With that object. That's your challenge. Um, 
I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. Um, if you do like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod. We are simply proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit, and a pantheon of other amazing shows. A pantloads. A pantload. A pantload. Um, you can find out more about what we've got planned coming up, all sorts of things, on historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Um, we've got a book of our own coming soon, and we've got a website of our own coming soon, so look out for that. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>